Hello, everyone. We are in class number four of four, talking about the chakras. And we, after a couple of introductory classes or laying the groundwork in a general way classes, we've now been talking about the characteristics of each chakra. We have gone through the earth, air, and fire chakra, and today we'll go through the last three chakras, including the medulla, and also then give you a little bit of an idea about what you can do about all of this information. I want to encourage you, um, there's a woman in Ananda village in America, Naya Swami Savitri, who has made a special study of the chakras. She has a, she's published a book on the subject, and she's also done quite a number of online classes. So I, I recognize in the cycle of this class that there's just too much material. And rather than uh, not cover what I cover well, I'll just do what I can and direct you toward that. I also... Nayaswami Asha have a website that has my own, it's my own name, Nayaswami Asha. And I've done other classes on the chakras um, that have covered um, the, the same material but more. And also every class is different because the, the choices are so many, we just flow with whatever is being pulled through us. So if this subject interests you, um, I think this has been a solid um, beginning, but there is much more that you can learn and uh, that also allows me to relax and just offer you what I can and not feel I have to cover the whole universe of chakras, which of course would be folly. So, without further ado, let's go on. The chakra we want to work with now is the heart chakra. And the way we've been talking about this, earth, air, fire, um, I mean earth was the first chakra, and it's nice to have the whole picture here, water, fire, and then now the heart chakra is air. Put a little heart there so you'll know. First, second, third, fourth chakra. And in all of these, as I was saying the last time we were speaking, um, this is, they all have to work together. And even though we do talk about the lower chakras and the upper chakras, and there's valid ways of understanding that, the particular tact that I'm taking now just because, as I said, I have to pull a slice of this information out, is more about how the chakras working together make an integrated, balanced person. And that the lower chakras are are not bad in the sense that we need the right expression of all these qualities because together they make a whole person able to function in the manifested world. And each of them is, represents a more subtle uh, uh, understanding, uh, a more subtle expression. But even the subtle expressions have to be grounded. That's what I was talking about last week, how the solidity of the earth, the commitment to truth, is essential um, for, for spiritual progress. That we can't just sort of pick and choose the elements that appeal to us the most. So now we're up to the air element, which is the heart element. This is the transition point between uh, the, uh, the navel chakra and the heart chakra, between the power of fire and the power of air. I, because the, the fire chakra, as I was saying last week, is Arjuna, can either pull energy downward um, toward materialism, or it can pull the material understanding upward into a higher spiritual point of view. So the dynamic struggle is right between the navel and the heart, so to speak. And now at the air element, what we're getting to, and people associate the air element with love, naturally, 
and the heart with love. It's the, the place where that particular emotion, um, spiritually and physiologically, is, is settled. It's also, the heart chakra is also the repository of the greatest delusions because this is where our likes and our dislikes are settled. This is where we take the one spirit and we divide it, we, we insist on the duality. This is pleasurable, this is not, this is pleasing to me, this is not, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. In fact, there is only one reality, but the heart chakra is what's dividing it up. Um, chitta, the the likes and dislikes of the heart. Patanjali defines yoga as the neutralization of the vrittis, of the whirlpools of likes and dislikes. We, we become, we look at this universe and we no longer see it in dual terms, we see it in one term. Swami Kriyananda was a, an extraordinary example of this kind of consciousness. He, he loved everyone um, equally, and he was committed equally to everyone's welfare. And he saw everyone uh, in terms of their divine potential, in terms of the presence of divinity within them. I remember a young man came to visit our retreat in California. And he was just there for a couple of days, and he felt extraordinarily embraced by the uh, loving friendship of the people at Ananda, and particularly by Swami Kriyananda, who, whom he had just met. And he said something to Swamiji. He said, I feel more love from you, looking at Swamiji, than I do from my own family. He said, how is that possible? You don't even know me. And Swamiji's answer was so sweet and so subtle. He said, well, you're right. I don't know you the way your family knows you. I don't know the details of your history. I don't know your personality. He said, but when I look at you, I see in you the presence of God, whom I already love. And so I love you as a manifestation of the divine. And that relationship with the divine, Swami didn't explain all of this, but it's true. The relationship with the divine is already established. So when one more form of the divine comes in front of you, it's really your beloved in a new costume. And you look through the costume and you see the same old fellow in there, uh, the same, same divine mother in there, and you give your heart equally and effortlessly. Swamiji has explained to us that uh, we think the saints have to make a great effort to love people, but it's effortless because the love is already in place for the one behind the duality. Well, when we get to the heart chakra, and we get to the air element, air gives the impression of, of omnipresent unity. And see, this is the, the subtlety also of the heart chakra compared to the throat chakra and especially to the spiritual eye, which is, it gives the impression of unity. But in fact, the air element can still be um, described and discerned and broken down into its separate pieces. Duality still exists on this level. So what the air element does is the, the power of our willpower burns up our sense of separateness, and at the level of the heart chakra, we begin to be able to reach out and embrace others. And many people really love the heart chakra for that reason, 
because I'm very heart-oriented, people will say it. We just embrace and love everyone that there is. But the difficulty is it can still be uh, divided up. It is not actually yet a true perception of unity. True perception of unity has to be focused entirely at the spiritual eye. So on one hand, the heart chakra is an easy way for us to unify ourselves with the world around us. But if it is not grounded by the, by the right expression of the other three chakras, we can easily just get swept away. And so we become, uh, to use a, a slang phrase that's at least used in America, the phrase airy-fairy is what we say about people, that someone is, oh, certainly he's a nice man, but he's very airy-fairy which means he'll just go, he'll, he'll go whichever way the wind is blowing. So if it's now we're supposed to be Sufi dancing and we really love Sufi dancing and then tomorrow we're supposed to be Buddhist and we sit silently doing Buddhism and then the next day we're doing art, self-expression and then the day after that we're, you know, we're working for the indigenous peoples and there's nothing wrong with each one of those things. But as I was saying in an earlier class, if you're going to drive across the country, you have to choose an automobile and stay in it. If we're really going to make progress, it's not enough just to blow with the wind. We, we have, it, there's serious work involved, and this is where the fire chakra comes from. And many people who have a natural capacity to, to embrace whatever's around them may not necessarily need to work anymore on that. But they need to work more on is a solid understanding, you know, what is true for me? What is my path? What is my way to God? What vibration of the divine should I commit myself to and be loyal to? This is where, you know, all of the scriptures tell us you have to commit to a path, you have to find a guru, you have to follow one way. Because otherwise we get caught in the superficial satisfaction of just enjoying ourselves in a generous-hearted way. Uh, in, in one of his writings, Master had this very interesting statement. He said, it's not enough to be good merely because it's our habit to be good. He said, we have to be able to choose righteousness in every situation with conscious and deliberate will. And I feel like that applies a lot to people who are naturally open in the heart. And so it pleases them uh, to be with everyone. And in a very subtle way, it becomes a like or a dislike. Oh, I just want to go along with what everyone is doing. And a person who's a little unbalanced in that way doesn't want to say, no, thank you, I really don't want to participate in that. No, I don't really entirely agree with you on that particular point. No, I think that I need to stay home and do my own sadhana instead of just blowing with the wind wherever you happen to be going or going along with people, just following whatever they want of you, instead of being able to stand firmly. And this is my truth, this is my destiny. Sometimes families kind of play upon this air element. Oh, this is what my mother wants. In, uh, in the book I wrote about Swami Kriyananda, there's an instant where Swamiji urged upon the young man a very serious and positive spiritual step which in retrospect probably would have been quite good for him. But in order to do that, he would have had to change the expectations. He would have had to disappoint the expectations of 
the people around him. And he said to Swamiji, Oh, sir, if I did that, my mother would be so disappointed. And Swami very seriously answered. He said, sooner or later, we, uh, well, what he actually said was, sooner or later, we all have to disappoint our mothers. But then he put it differently. He said, uh, we have to be prepared to disappoint them. Meaning, let's not do it if we don't have to. But we have to have the courage of our convictions. And so the air element, without the courage of our convictions, plus the intuition that the flexibility of water gives us, but not just the flowing energy, which is very close to what the air energy is like, but the intuition that comes from actually being able to discern other realities. Well, those people are enjoying that particular activity, but I can sense it's not right for me. It's not going to take me where I need to go. We don't have to judge it, but we don't have to participate in it either. We can just stand quietly in where we are. And then the fire element has to be there because, you see, the fire of transformation is really what makes all the difference on the spiritual path. People imagine, well, spiritual path is supposed to be, you know, sweet and attractive and expansive. And so people just fall into this, again, this kind of airy, fairy, floating energy, and there's no power behind it. And you can have a pleasant life, and people will like you, and you can have a facade of spirituality, and by all means, that's better than not. But if we're really serious about the spiritual path, there has to be power behind it. There has to be real power behind it. So if we find ourselves naturally good and generous because it's our habit to do so, we have to also ask ourselves, how much power am I putting behind this? When uh, people ask me sometimes what they should do, whether they're following the right path, whether they're, they should make a change, I ask them, are you living at 100% of your capacity? And if you're not, you need to do something about that. Now, I have to add, Master said his path was for racehorses. And I'm going to balance this slightly by something I was saying recently in a different class. A woman uh, who, who was not familiar with our path was uh, talking to me about whether she should buy and read the autobiography of a yogi. And she a little timidly said, I've heard that this is a very arduous path. And, you know, just sort of wanting to enjoy more the airy-fairy path, which was uh, more what the context was in which we were talking. She herself was a strong woman, though. I said, well, it's a serious path, that's for sure, which is to say, this path goes all the way to God-realization. People get into spiritual things and they're learning a little bit of this, a little healing, a little bit of learning about the lights, maybe a little bit about working with the chakras. But are we going all the way to uh, the, the neutralization of all the vrittis in our chakras? And so, yes, this is a serious path. But arduous is different. I mean, as I expressed to her, and I think it's worth remembering, you can only take one step at a time. I mean, you just can't take, you can't take more than one step at a time. And one step is going to be in exact relationship to the length of your legs and how fast you want to go. So it's no more arduous than you make it. But does it require the balanced energy of all the chakras? Yes. And is the fire chakra essential? Yes. And this again, we come back to Arjuna. He just didn't want to do it. It was too much force. And Arjuna represents 
all of us, just asking ourselves, isn't there an easier way? Can I just avoid this? And when that thought is in play, often the air chakra is in play. Now, what the real power of the air chakra is exactly what it says. It, the fire transforms and we begin to expand. We, we really begin to move outside of our own reality. The power of the fire chakra is very much about burning up the ego, but once that fire begins to burn, we really do begin to slay the enemy. The enemy being that says, well, this is me and that's you. These are my interests and those are your interests and I'm going to follow my own way and I'm not going to have anything to do with anyone else. No, the air chakra gives us this incredible, increasing sense of freedom and unity and th- that beginning glimpse of what, it, uh, what the perception of reality is of a master where everyone looks dear to you. Swamiji talks about a dream he had in which he saw all millions of people of all different types, you know, good people, criminals, saints, everyone, you know, people just beginning on the path, uh, everyone. And he said, and he realized that they were all seeking bliss. They all had exactly, they were all exactly the same inside, and they were all aspiring for divine bliss, no matter how misguided or guided they were. And so he said, how can you not love everyone when you see that? You see, that's the beginning of the heart chakra. These people are so dear to me because I see the presence of God in them. And that's what you draw out. Oh yes, there's this whole personality going on around it. But I go right into feeling the presence of God in my heart, feeling the presence of God in the other, and then the heart chakra begins to express itself beautifully. But it remains, it has the power of self-control, and it has the force of divine understanding behind it. Okay. Now, the next chakra is the throat chakra, the ether chakra. And ether is a word that I, I said, I think, at the beginning class. It used to be more commonly used. And ether is the quality, it's, it's more subtle than air. Ether is almost a philosophical concept. It, it's not, ether also has a chemical uh, definition, but ether is sort of like the stuff of creation. All the spaces are filled by ether. <laughs> in other words, the divisions of that are still possible in air, where the heart can divide up into likes and dislikes, that those divisions are gone and you, you're just dealing with one substance. At the fifth chakra, you're beginning to actually experience the unity, not merely feel connected with others as the heart allows us, but actually experiencing the oneness. Now, this is also considered to be the chakra of communication because communication is really about connecting, really being able to transfer experience and ideas. Sri Yukeshwar, in Autobiography of a Yogi, um, in his training of Ah, Yogananda. He commented to him, he said, try to perceive behind the confusion of men's words what their actual intention is, what they're actually saying to you. So often with Swami Kriyananda, when we would communicate with him, I and others, you would just start to explain yourself. 
And he would very rarely would he let you finish explaining yourself. He would immediately just jump in. And sometimes you would think he was answering a different question than the one you asked. And not everyone was always able to discern it, but I gradually learned that he was always asking either the question that we were answering, he was answering either the question that we were actually asking, or even more subtly, the question we should have asked. (laughs) He was telling us what we actually needed to know. And he wasn't waiting for us to sort of sort it out and find our way. He was not psychological. He said Master was even, um, well, I was going to say more difficult, because I remember once Swamiji was talking to a group of us. For some reason we were lined up on couches. I I remember thinking we were like birds on a wire, just sort of lined up in front of him. And uh, Swamiji, there was some confusion going on in the community, some miscommunication about something or another. Swamiji looked at us and he said, you have no idea, he said, you have it so easy. Swamiji said, he said, I bend over backwards to explain things to you. He said, Master never bothered. Master would just look at you, project a thought toward you, or sometimes just give you a sentence and then nothing more. He said, you imagine a master would sit down and explain, well, Johnny, in as much as you feel this way, and since this has been your family's habit, then he said, never. He would just point you where you were supposed to go and expect you to rise to it intuitively. And then Swamiji said that he tried so much harder than that. But still, he would often just guide you uh, in such a way that you would have to understand yourself. I remember on one occasion I was having a, I had a great objection. The situation is a little complicated, so I'll truncate it. But there, there were these very long readings that we were, uh, that were part of our Sunday service. So I subsequently rewrote them and made them a quarter as long. But it was part of the Sunday service that we had to read these long interpretations of the Bible and the Gita, and I intensely and totally disliked them. Um, I have a lot to say, and <laughs> it took up so much time, and they were just too long. And of course, eventually, Swamiji also understood, agreed, and uh, wrote others. It was a complicated, as I say, situation, but I objected so strongly to those. So Swamiji, of all things, said to me, well, you don't have to use them, he said. And he said it to a whole group of people. Asha doesn't have to use these. Everyone else has to use them, but she doesn't have to use them. Which, of course, on the face of it was, thank you, sir. You know, you're acknowledging. And he said something about, well, you know, she has a lot to say. And so let, she doesn't have to spend all this time reading my words. And so, but even as he said it, I mean, I'm talking about the ether element. I'm talking about true communication. I heard his words, but he had actually communicated something else to me. It was more like, well, spoiled child, you've, given, you've had a tantrum. And so now I'm going to give in to your tantrum. How does that feel? And it, but it was very strange because um, I knew there was something terribly wrong, even though I'd gotten exactly what I personally wanted. And I was in my kitchen, and of all things, there was one of those uh, garbage cans where you step on the foot thing and the lid flips up. And somehow that garbage can was an important part of my revelation. I was in the kitchen with a bag of garbage. I stepped on that, and the lid came up. And I had this feeling that if I, if I did, in fact, do what he'd said 
and let go of those readings even though other people were still having to use them. If I made myself an exception, I would become so out of tune that I would leave the spiritual path. And it was like my whole life would go into the garbage can. That was the image in front of me. And instead, I put the garbage in the garbage can and I shut the lid. And I wrote Swami and I said, No, sir, as long as everyone else is using them, I will too. And I also said, Stop criticizing. Just let it be. Which I did, and eventually everything shifted as it always does. But that's true communication based on a unity of consciousness. So we have to realize that the, the, the ether chakra, in terms of communication, is not words. Sometimes words get what you want to say. But what it really is, is really understanding who other people are. Now, you can't do that unless you have a strong sense of your own reality. If you have the ability to uh, shape yourself to what other people are doing without losing your own identity, you have to have power because otherwise you become confused by what other people are saying. I mean, Swamiji never calculated. He did many things that were quite astonishing in retrospect. But he never calculated. He didn't sit and think, well, if I do that, then they'll respond like this, and I'll do that. He was just completely in tune with the whole. And when I talk about the spiritual eye, I'll talk about this a little more. He was completely in tune with the whole reality, and he would just feel what to do next, often without having any idea where that would lead, but with full confidence that if this is what he felt to do, he should do it. Just like that. Like, I don't think he knew exactly what my response would be. He looked at it and saw that I was just having a hissy fit and decided it was just time to cooperate with me. So he did, just to wait and see what I would do. You know, and I, thank God, broke in the right direction, <clears throat> as our Master called it, being pushed to the edge and then you break either toward the light or away from it. I broke toward the light, but I teetered on the edge for a little while. But he could feel it was the right balance to push it like that. Now, this chakra also, because once you see the oneness of everything, a certain amount of detachment can set in, in terms of it, it begins to matter less. You know, whether it goes this way or that way, the, the, the tendency of the heart chakra to think in terms of its likes and dislikes um, it is uh, calmed by the time you get to the fifth chakra, because now ether is one substance behind all others. But the great danger of, of too much emphasis on this chakra, or I should say wrong, imbalanced emphasis on this chakra, and the, the throat chakra is very attractive to people who lack fire. And it's very attractive to people <coughs> who are a little hesitant, like Arjuna was, to really engage in the battle. Because now I can just be calm, you see. I don't really have to deal with anything because I'm just calm. But you don't really become calm, you become apathetic, which is completely different. You become passive. You don't have any power, you don't have any real commitment, and you don't really have intuition. You have, well, um, the ether element can become very fearful, just very fearful. I've got a spiritual reason now why I can just stand on the edge of life and never have to participate. Swamiji was talking, uh, contrasting himself to another man in our community in the very early years who actually had the 
audacity to compete with Swamiji for leadership. And he was a very popular kind of guy. In America, we have student body president and its elected position, and he was the president of his school. And it's a position of popularity. You just go around and you get everybody to like you, and then you get that position, because what are you doing? You're not really doing very much. And Swamiji conceded to this man. He said, you're absolutely right. He said, if there was a popularity contest between you and me, I would very likely lose, especially if we were back in high school. You would certainly be elected, and I wouldn't. But Swamiji said, leadership is when you see people suffering and you're really willing to go there and do everything you can to help alleviate their suffering. He said, that's real leadership, and that's not popularity. That's commitment to the welfare of others. So the ether element gives you the capacity to really enter in to other people's realities But if you have all this power behind you and you genuinely, your heart is genuinely there for them, you're calm, but you're absolutely committed. And and that's a... But you're committed from the center of your being. That's what I was wanting to say. And this is sort of rounding out the end of all the chakras here. You're committed with all of your power intact and you're reaching out from that center. Just like Swamiji said to that young man, I love you because I love God. And so the first commitment is to God. And then when I start talking in a moment about between the medulla and the spiritual eye, all of these energies need to be ruled by the spiritual eye. Because this is the chakra that puts you in tune with God's will. And the difficulty with all of these chakras is if they're not running in tune with God's will, well, God alone knows what you might do. (laughs) So I'm going to put now the, what Master called this, he called the sixth chakra, he called it super ether, which I think is just Master enjoying the English language. (laughs) Because this is the beginning of unity and this is true unity. And I've just mentioned the medulla and the spiritual eye, which are, in fact, the same chakra. This is one of the um, refinements that Swami, uh, that Master really put into this understanding of the chakra system, is that the medulla, right here, and it's not listed as a separate chakra, so there's a little dot there, because Master says it's not this, a separate chakra. This is individual will in tune with divine will. That's what the this represents. This is where individuality meets infinity. And Master didn't teach much about the seventh chakra, the top of the head, the crown chakra, because he said you have to access it through the sixth chakra. When all five of these chakras come under the conscious guidance of the spiritual eye, then he said that automatically opens a channel to the seventh chakra. And then there's one other point here, which is both the spiritual eye and the medulla are, are our individuality. The wonderful um, Sanskrit word for that is jiva, which is the, the bubble. That even when the bubble merges in the sea, the bubble is still always there. In English, we sometimes use the word soul. It's, it's less accurate than the word jiva, so jiva is a better word. But it's the individual soul. And each of us has our unique destiny, 
our karma brings us into manifestation, our, our jiva expresses itself through all of these different uh, chakras, each one um, finding its own vibration and then directing that vibration upward and being coordinated from the spiritual eye so that the energy running, as it's described here, the way Master describes it, here I'll go back to the medulla, when the sperm and ovum come together and the jiva makes its commitment um, to, 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 to incarnate, that first cell, Master said, is right here at the medulla. And he said, every part of the body can be operated on, but you can't operate on this part of the body because this is actually the seed of life. This is where our life emanates from. And this is where, this is the jiva identified with this whole physical body. And therefore, it is the seat of ego. Ego is the jiva, the jiva identified. And identified is a great word. It doesn't actually become, but it's identified with the body. That's what makes us separate from creation, this, the earth element. We have incarnated into this physical body, and then if the jiva identifies with that, then your reality is limited to this little frame. And when we expand, okay, let me come back to, this is the medulla where the ego is settled, and this is why we seem to be so much more in our eyes than in any part of ourself, because we are literally our, our jiva, so to speak, our soul, our ego, is kind of settled there in the medulla. That's our point of view, like a little doggy looking out the window. And so that's how we view the world. However, this chakra is still the jiva, still the individual. We still are who we are. We're still animating the whole system. But we've pulled our identification to attunement with superconsciousness. Instead of identifying with the limited body, we now identify with the infinite reality. And once we identify with infinity, then all of this looks different. And as I was saying here, the energy flowing in through the medulla, it circulates through all the chakras, and it draws all that energy back to a focus at the spiritual eye. So the question is, how much pre-committed energy, which are the little vrittis, do we have at each one of these chakras? In the earlier classes, I talked about how every time we do anything, we exert any energy on any level, it vibrates according to a certain perception of reality, which is, am I deeply ego-identified, or am I identified with spirit? And then that energy is registered in those chakras, and those, that registration of commitment to a certain perception of reality creates a vritti. That's what a vritti is. It's a, it's a core idea in the energy that swirls around it. So when the energy comes in the medulla and circulates through the chakras, I think of it like this. It's like a delivery truck. And it's like first chakra needs 20% of the load, second chakra needs another 10%, third chakra needs 30%. So the energy comes in and it circulates, and by the time it gets back to the spiritual eye, how much is left? How much is left depends on how much committed energy we have to each of these vibrations of reality, all of which are essential, but guided and committed on its own level, rather than guided 
and committed from attunement with God's will. Okay? And this is where the practice of Kriya comes in because when we circulate the energy through the chakras with the practice of Kriya, we are cleaning, we are, we are dissolving those vrittis and allowing all that energy to flow to the spiritual eye. So someone like Swami Kriyananda, he did not have any energy committed except to God's will. But all of his chakras were engaged and all of these qualities were manifest in him, but they were all manifested in attunement with God's will and not um, out of his control or according to his um, likes and dislikes or uh, fear of commitment. None of that was present. So all of those qualities were visible but always in attunement with God's will. And I never met Master, of course, but Swamiji described Master as the most wonderful, in addition to you know, his infinite capabilities and his miracle-producing nature and his transforming influence, Swami described him as the most delightful human being he had ever met. Because all of these qualities of humanity were completely present. It's not like he didn't, uh, like all his chakras weren't awake and ready, but they were all working under the guidance of the spiritual eye. This is why. Now, all of these chakras, of course, represent your destiny and the things that you have a desire to do and the karmic troubles that you get yourself into. And this is why um, people will say, and it's true, don't worry about anything, just meditate especially if you meditate correctly. And this is why correctly meaning, correct is, that's, a, that's the wrong word. If you meditate in such a way that the energy builds at the spiritual eye, because if you just build energy at the navel chakra, for example, this, this chakra can't accurately guide all the others. It can build personal power. And people meditate at the heart, and it can build affection for humanity but it won't necessarily build a solid um, understanding of oneness that will protect you from the uh, reassertion of likes and dislikes. And if there's not enough power, the heart can get really excited and then the energy can be pulled downward again. Or if the power is not um, sufficiently trained to go upward to the spiritual life, we're not constantly using our willpower to burn up our limitations and raise us to the spiritual eye. So if we just meditate in a way that actually strengthens the spiritual eye, then the, the circulating energy will gradually make, put everything under the power of God's will here. Now, if this is too strong without the other uh, chakras also being in place, as, as, as someone said to Swami Kriyananda when he was building a lot of power here, don't become ruthless. Don't become so powerful in the realization that you can move heaven and earth by your mere determination to do so. You have to have the calm, uh, calm unity of the throat, the expansive um, unity of the heart, the willpower to burn up your own um, wrong, wrong understandings, the intuition of water, the strength of commitment to real truth. And then it all begins to flow and just 
a beautiful way. Now, um, just to touch a little bit on an, uh, one other aspect, because I don't want to lose this before I, uh, before the day is over, because this is our last class. What do I do about all of these things? Um, as I said at the beginning, this way of approaching the chakras, which as I'm telling you is just a, a tiny slice of what's possible, um, is about building the right qualities to move through the world in harmony and grace and in attunement. And because we're objectifying these as, as in human ways, um, this is a way about pulling your life together in, in, in personality and self-expression. And I believe I've sufficiently given you sufficient evidence for a person to really sort of look at their own reality a little bit and ask, where am I strong? Where am I weak? Now, if you recognize, for example, that you have a lot of commitment and a lot of willpower, but not a lot of flexibility, so that water may be the chakra that you need to work with. Um, Available to you through Ananda Online in some way or another is this uh, piece of paper, which what it actually has on it are um, affirmations for each of the chakras. And since we're talking about the water uh, the water chakra, it says, well, I mean, I'll also give them to you in just a moment. But the water chakra, because all of these are natural elements, you can reinforce them in many ways in your life. If you're trying to strengthen the water chakra, as an example, you can meditate on um, the vision and the feeling of water. You can actually put yourself in in flowing streams. You can make a point of uh, spending an afternoon looking at water flowing. You can put uh, a water fountain on your altar. Whatever it is that will constantly remind you, oh, this is a quality that I really need to bring into myself. And you can, of course, begin to watch yourself and pay attention when you're using willpower instead of flexibility, when you're using stubborn fanaticism instead of intuitive understanding of what's really needed in this moment. And then um, this sheet that I have here has an affirmation for every chakra. And whenever you work with any individual chakra, it's very important that you actually concentrate at the spiritual eye. Um, you, you can be aware of the chakra and you can be cultivating that energy. You, you, you can, you're actually concentrating here, but you're also aware here, just as I'm sitting in my own home, I'm standing in my own home, and I'm speaking into this camera, but I know where I am. And I, I generally know what else is going on in the room, but I'm not concentrating on any of that. I'm concentrating only on the communication between us and my talking into the camera. So it is whenever we're working with any chakra, and if you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you very light ideas because I'm encouraging you towards Nayaswami Savitri's courses and others of my own in which we go into this, and Swami Kriyananda and Jyotishindevi. Once I start naming everyone, I have to name everyone, but just noodle around a little bit and you'll find other choices, plus in the uh, live classes in the center where you are. But... Uh, you can cultivate the chakra in make it what, what, what you want to do is you want to interiorize the energy you want to intensify the energy and then you want to raise the energy 
It's not enough merely to cultivate it. You want to interiorize the energy, you want to intensify the energy, and then you want to raise the energy. So if you're concentrating at the spiritual eye, then raising it becomes automatic. Interiorizing it becomes automatic. And then you want to intensify it. So concentrating at the spiritual eye, let's say we're working with the water chakra, we want to get ourselves ever more deeply into the uplifting potential of water. The power, the way a river flows, the way a river, the water will always find a way, the way it adapts itself to circumstances, and just the, the free-flowing, sort of fearless nature of water. There's a, a tremendous power in water, and I talked about this earlier. So if you're, if you're working on developing that within yourself, you want to be sure to develop it in the right way. Remember the uh, wrong form of water is wishy-washy, where you just dissipate yourself in a desert and, and the earth and the fire elements are lost. So concentrating at the spiritual eye, you visualize the water and the affirmation that goes with it is, I flow ever freely on tides of grace. So you're concentrating at the spiritual eye, feeling God's will. I flow ever freely on tides of grace. And you can repeat that over and over again until it becomes, um, that power becomes very strong in you. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of the other ones just so you can hear them. The earth element is just powerful. I am steadfast, determined, unshakably loyal to truth. I endure and accept all things with calm faith in God. You can see how that would build in you that committed power and you visualize granite rocks. You visualize forces that have stood for ages and are still standing. I am steadfast, determined, unshakably loyal to truth. I endure and accept all things with calm faith in God. The water element, I flow ever freely on the tides of grace. The fire element, and of course, if this is what you need to develop, is the power to transform all of your diverse uh, inclinations into a one-pointed determination for God. Build a fire or visualize one at the spiritual eye, or have one literally in front of you. I cast my thoughts, desires, and all past karmas into the flames of love. Make me whole, make me pure, make me one with thee. And you repeat this at the spiritual eye with the vision of fire, and what you're doing then is you're drawing the energy of this chakra to the spiritual eye. The fourth, air. As I radiate love and goodwill to others, I will open the channel for God's love to come to me. Divine love is the magnet that draws to me all that is good. Isn't that wonderful? Then the ether, it says, Free at last, my spirit soars into infinite skies of bliss. So we become calmly detached from the world around us, but we use that freedom to go upward into the light. And then the medulla. I offer myself and all that I am at the feet of omnipresence. So we're meditating here. I offer myself. This is where I think I am. I offer myself into the infinite. And you feel your self-identity shifting from the body to the spirit. And then at the spiritual eye, 
I awake in thy light. I am blissful. I am free. I awake in thy light. Now, it's a very uh, quick and small sense of what you can do. But if you can shift the energy internally, then everything else will follow naturally from that. So, do we have a question there? Do I see it? No. Okay. I had one question that I've more or less answered, but I, I think in answering it I can sort of finish what I have to say. Sometimes questions are hard to answer because the premises are confused. And this is a question in which the premises are confused and therefore the answer is hard to find. It says, emotion is a fallout of love. Love is the property of the heart chakra. But it is said that the sacral chakra is where emotional issues and suppressions reside. Shouldn't emotional issues reside in the heart chakra? Okay, there's a lot of different things in there. So this gives me also the chance to say, Swami Kriyananda, oh, I I forgot another source, absolutely foundational source for information about the chakras, is Swami Kriyananda's Art and Science of Raja Yoga course. There's two chapters of the 14 chapters that are entirely devoted to the chakras. And that is, that is the foundational um, source for everything that I'm talking about. A great deal of what people teach about the chakras um, does not match the picture that Swami Kriyananda made of Master's teachings. So before you try to get an answer about some aspect of the chakras, first try to understand if this is in fact the way Master taught it, or ask somebody else and take their point of view. But if you're trying to to attune yourself to Master's teachings, it's really the only way to do it. You have to get your premises correct. She starts by saying emotion is a fallout of love. The love is from the heart chakra. Emotion, okay, this is where we get into an issue of uh, English language. And there's two words in English. One is emotion and one is feeling. Okay, emotion is not just about love. Emotion is about feeling. It can also be about hate. It can be about fear. It can be about desire. There's a thousand different feelings that we have. Now, we, we make an arbitrary distinction in order to be able to speak English about these subjects. Feeling is the substance of the universe. Um, chitta, the um, uh, bliss, the feeling nature. As Swamiji says, the experience of God is a feeling. It's a feeling of bliss. It's not just an abstract idea that we have over here. Sat-chit-ananda, ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss. That's the actual definition of God. Our feeling nature is deeply important to us. We understand the world through our feeling nature. But when we are in our divine feeling nature, our feelings interiorize, intensify, and elevate. They, they rise toward the spiritual eye. Emotion is when our feeling nature moves off of center and becomes attached and identified with something that is not central, that is not our real self-definition. Now, using the image of an elm tree, of a tree that's rooted deeply like this and extends all the way out to its branches, all the way out to the farthest leaf of the farthest branch. In this picture of the chakras, you see, our energy is deeply interiorized. It's very powerful. It's very powerfully circulating 
all the way through all of our chakras, guided by the spiritual eye. But from that center of deep and calm, divinely inspired feeling, we can reach out into every aspect of our lives. And we don't have any fear of commitment or involvement, but our sense of identification and the source and uh, the source of our happiness does not transfer out to the edge of our being. So this is feeling when we're in the center of our spine. This is emotion. Okay, we have a deep desire to accomplish something, to help someone be better, to raise and to uh, raise and love a child, um, to succeed at a certain. Uh, challenge over on this side. And with deep feeling, we commit ourselves to it. Emotion is when we identify with something outside of our center and our happiness becomes dependent on that outcome. Now, this is about the ether chakra. You see, we are not apathetic to the outcome, but we have not transferred our sense of identity or our well-being to the outcome. Thus, if it fails, you know, we feel that um, oh, it failed. It didn't happen the way we wanted. We, we have that experience, but we are not defined by that experience. So emotion can happen from any chakra. You know, we become fanatically determined that this is the only way the world can be. And if the world doesn't cooperate, we suffer because we have identified too deeply with this reality. But we can be completely committed to something happening. But what we are committed to is the sense that this is what the Divine wanted from us. And then, if it doesn't turn out to be that way, then we accept that also as the will of God. Yogananda was walking in a neighborhood once, and there was someone who was ill. And he went into the house, and it turned out that someone had died, and he actually brought that person back into their body. He resurrected them. And as it happened, it was a distant relative of his. And later someone asked him, he said, did you heal that person because he was part of your family? And Master said, no, I did it because Divine Mother told me to. He said, I would never have done it if Divine Mother hadn't told me to do it. Now Master may have felt deep compassion from his heart for the misery of these people, which was in his power to alleviate. But merely because he could have done it, he wouldn't have done it, unless he was guided from the spiritual eye. And you see, emotion confuses us. Oh, they need money, they need help, we have to go rescue them. But maybe in fact, what God wants is for them to rescue themselves. And so the only way we can know whether the impulses of the heart are right, or the power to accomplish something is really what is needed of us, is if we stay in the center of calm feeling, and allow our actions to be guided by the spiritual eye. And sometimes it requires great discipline. Sometimes the heart is breaking for someone and you really do want to rescue them. You want to get in there and make their life work with your willpower. Because you have the willpower to do it. I could do it and my heart hurts for them. But is this really what God wants me to do? You see, emotion is when we allow ourselves to be guided at the level of the chakra instead of raising the essence of that to the spiritual eye and then let ourselves be guided from there. As one of my friends put it very aptly, 
He said, when I allow myself to make my decisions from the vibration of the heart chakra, I may make good decisions, but if I allow myself to be guided, let my heart to be guided from the spiritual eye, I will make better decisions. Um, Many, many times. It's been a very hard lesson for lots of us to learn. I have a lot of willpower and a lot of energy and a certain amount of sympathy for people. And for many years of my life, I ran around trying to use the energy I had here uh, to rescue them from their karma. And finally, I felt the dissonance of that. What is the problem here? And I realized that because I had the willpower and the sympathy, but I was actually guided by fear. I just felt I couldn't stand it, my likes and dislikes. I couldn't stand it if they were facing a tough situation and I wanted to solve it for them. And it was really less about them and more about me, the likes and dislikes. I don't like to see people suffer around me. I have the willpower and energy to do something about it. But inasmuch as the central emotion was fear, which is an emotion, you see, I was moved off center. Where is God's will? Where is my calm acceptance? Where is my unity with all consciousness? Where is my sense of what God wants? It was all the likes and dislikes of the heart combined with the power of the will. I'll do something about it. And one day I realized that uh, I wasn't afraid of my own karma. So why did I think that nobody else could cope with theirs? Of course, then the question became, God, what do you really want me to do? Not what, I, what can I do, what does my heart push me to do in an emotional way, but standing in the center of my being, what do you really want me to do? Total, total shift. You know where the chakras were working fine from anybody's point of view, but not fine enough. And then when God guides you to do it, I watched Swami Kriyananda, he, his, his responses were not always predictable. You know, what he would give, where he would give it, how much he would reach out, when he would reach out. But then you began to realize that he was never moving, as so many of us were moving, from what he could do. He was only moving from what Divine Mother asked him to do. That's what this chakra represents. This is the the individual united with the infinite. And when the individual unites with the infinite, then, of course everything changes, both for the individual and for this world. And that's the life we are meant to live. And with God's grace, we will. God bless you all.